Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 122 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Tick Bite Blueprint, an interview with Christina Biggs and Josh Kreifels. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, we had two young people who were out on an outing on the West Coast, and Josh found himself bitten by a tick. And in the process of doing their research, they came across our Instagram and then ultimately our website, and they located the Tick Bootcamp Tick Bite Blueprint. And Rich, as the person here with Lyme, I know many of our listeners are probably thinking, I don't care about a tick bite. I already have chronic Lyme or a co-infection. But the fact is, the reality of a reinfection is real. And I'm living proof that I know I've been reinfected at least twice since initially being infected with Lyme disease. So Matt, it's really important that folks who have chronic Lyme disease learn about the tick bite blueprint so that in the the event that they do find themselves being bitten by a tick, they can protect themselves from reinfection and all the challenges that will come along with a whole bunch of new germs being spit into them. It was even a greater blessing about interviewing Christina and Josh is Christina is a nurse, Josh is a dietitian, and they talked a lot about doxycycline and the impact that it has on gut health and the steps that they were gonna take to protect Josh's um, gut health and the additional steps they were going to take to enhance his immune system. So this was a really cool interview, not only because they went through the steps of the Tick Bite Blueprint and they talked about the different challenges that they were gonna be helped with as a consequence of the Blueprint, but even more importantly, they they gave some added value to the uh, Blueprint by talking about their perspective as a medical professional and as a dietitian. So Matt, I'm really excited to introduce Christina Biggs and Josh Kreifels to the Tick Bootcamp community. So hey, Josh and Tina, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. Well, thank you for joining our podcast. We're really blessed to have you folks. So uh, Josh, can you first introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm Josh. I live in um, Seattle, Washington. I have my master's degree in nutrition and I am a registered dietitian. Uh, and graduated from a naturopathic school of medicine here in Seattle. And Tina, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, my name is Tina, and I'm a registered nurse in school to get my nurse practitioner right now. I also um, am from Seattle, and I love all things medicine, and so I'm really excited to talk about all of this today. So folks, uh, just for our audience, um, you are actually the first people we've ever had on our podcast um, who have been as early in their journey as Josh and Tina are. So this is really exciting for us to uh, speak with you uh, folks. So uh, Tina, can you share with our audience how we connected with one another yesterday? Yeah, so without getting too much into the exact story of it, because I know Josh will definitely share that, but um, yesterday we um, came across Josh getting a tick bite. Um, We had just gone up um, and had a weekend kind of getaway um, in the kind of mountains area and we came home, we were barbecuing and Josh came in and said, Tina, I think I just got bit by a tick and I could see panic in his face. And um, with just the background that I know, I know that Lyme's disease can be very serious and chronic. And so I immediately went to my phone and started researching everything on Instagram and the internet and everything. And I came across uh, Tick Bootcamp and I DM'd them on Instagram and I was like, help, I need resources. And I know I have a very short window to act here. So Um, I need someone to please give me some resources. And I was immediately responded to and the rest is history. So thanks. Uh, Thanks for connecting with us because we were really excited to speak with you yesterday. And and we are going to spend some time talking about this. So Josh, tell us, tell us uh, what you folks were doing and how you discovered your tick. 
Uh, we were up shooting uh, clays, trap shooting up in the woods, um, just with some friends, just to celebrate um, his birthday. Him and I both enjoy shooting, so we were just up. I've been up there shooting before, um, so it's just another normal day uh, of up shooting. Um, never did I think that a tick would even cross my mind, but uh, yeah, just up shooting and, and enjoying a weekend. So Josh, uh, tell me what you knew about ticks prior to receiving the tick bite you received two days ago. Um, I knew that they can transmit um, some pretty harmful diseases. Um, I know about Lyme disease. I know about chronic um, diseases and, and autoimmunity and things like that. Um, Tina certainly knows a lot more about the actual um, medical process of Lyme disease. So this is all very new to me, but um, I do know some about ticks. So now, uh, as a consequence of knowing what you know about ticks, did you take any precautions to protect yourself from being bitten by a tick when you were out in the woods yesterday? Or I'm sorry, two days ago. Uh, I did not take any precautions because it never even crossed my mind that I would be bit by a tick. And it's pretty known that it's, ticks are not common in Western Washington. Um, it's not something we deal with a lot. So no, I did not take any precautions. So Tina, why don't you share with us what you knew about ticks prior to Josh's tick bite a couple of days ago and now the deep dive you've done over the last couple of days? Yeah, so I really don't, I never had any experience with them growing up. We had some animals, but they were all outdoor animals. I never really um, was worried about ticks growing up. What I knew that they were more prevalent on the East Coast and the West Coast. And so it's never been something that I've been super um, kind of cognizant of growing up. My parents weren't big like bug spray people or anything when we went camping. And so mosquitoes were really my only thing that I was worried about. So um, as far as Lyme disease, I have had one friend that had dealt with it pretty significantly, um, but she was really in the chronic stage of it. And I never really got into how she contracted it with her. Um, and so I would say my knowledge was minimal in that category. Right, so now you were out with Josh a couple of days ago when he had gotten uh, bitten by the tick. Yep. Did you take any precautions to protect yourself from coming in contact with ticks? No, uh, we did not wear any bug spray. We just were out kind of having fun. And, you know, little did we know that there was any, you know, harm in the area. We were more focused on, you know, eating our food and shooting our guns. And, and no, we did not wear anything specific or spray anything on us specific to protect us. So Josh, how did you notice that you were, you were bitten by a tick? How'd you find the tick? Uh, it was probably about three hours later. Uh, I was, we were back home and, and barbecuing some dinner and I felt something on the back of my tricep um, and just, it was a little hard and sore. And so I lifted up my sleeve and it looked like uh, a tick. Um, I saw the face look like it was burrowed into my arm and the body was angled up kind of. Um, I remember seeing that it was black with a little bit of red on it, but it, it happened uh, really fast of me just grabbing the tick and pinching it and pulling it out. So I, I didn't get a super good look at it, but um, it didn't look like a bug that I've experienced before. Um, and, and just being fearful of ticks is why I instantly kind of pulled it out and threw it. So let's talk about that. So so the you you feel something on the back of your arm, which I want to share with you is is quite frankly unique because, um, because ticks actually have a property in their spit that actually will anesthetize your arm. So in most cases, when you, when you have a tick, it can be there for days and you won't even find it. So that's a pretty unique experience that you did feel it without touching it. So 
let's talk about like how you felt the minute you saw that thing biting you on your arm. Like what was your reaction and how did you physically respond to that? Yeah, just to clarify on that last point, I didn't feel pain in my arm um, when I felt the tick. I just put my hand on my arm okay. and I felt something that um, was a little sensitive. So I didn't feel pain the entire time until I put my hand on my arm. Um, but just to answer your next question about what kind of went through my head um, was I need to get this off me as quick as possible. Um, and I know not to smack it or like squish it into me, which is why I tried to pinch it. Um, with my fingertips and then throw it. But I think just the initial shock of, oh my gosh, I just got bit by a tick. Uh, I hope I don't get chronic disease or Lyme disease. Lyme disease was honestly one of the first things I thought of. Um, so a lot of fear initially, and I tried to calmly walk in and, and tell Tina that uh, I think I had just been bitten by a tick, even though she could obviously tell in my face that I was clearly freaking out. So the minute you, you touched the tick on your arm, you, um, now you, you, you touch it with your fingertips, so your fingertips are what caused you to feel the tick? Yes, correct. And what did it feel like when your fingertips touched the tick? Um, it felt hard. Um, like, I don't know why I would have like a little hard um, thing on my arm. And so that it didn't feel like skin or it didn't feel like um, something on my shirt. Um, and so I, I just felt the sensitivity when I, my hand went there and I lifted it up and then just saw the look of it and the angle of the way it was in my arm was the first inclination that I thought it was even a tick. So let's talk about the clothing you were wearing. Were you wearing a shirt that was tight on your arm? Why do you believe that the tick was biting you where it was? Uh, I was initially, when we first started shooting for like the first half of the day, I was wearing a, a full sweatshirt and then I had taken my sweatshirt off and was just wearing a t-shirt. Um, and most of my t-shirts are more of an athletic fit. And so the sleeves are a little bit tighter. Um, and so I, I don't have any inclination of why it was biting my arm, but um, I assume since it, I took my sweatshirt off, it was just looking for a place on my skin to bite. Well, I can share with you, Josh, that the reason the tick was biting you where it was biting you is because you were wearing an athletic cut shirt. And what ticks do is they look for a fold of some sort, right? So because you had a tight shirt on your arm, it thought it was, it was burrowing into a place where there was a fold, and that's why you were bitten on your arm, luckily. So let's, let's go back and talk a little bit about, again, you feeling for the tick. I'm really interested in, in, in trying to learn why you ended up running your finger across your forearm when, I'm sorry, across your tricep when you did. What, what caused you to touch that part of your body and not any other part of your body? I, I think I was just leaning up against a beam while my buddy was grilling and I had crossed my arms uh, across each other and just, just so happened to be where my hand landed on my arm and my fingers landed on my tricep that I felt a little sensitivity. So it's just me standing casually um, in mid-conversation with my buddy. So the fear triggers are, are, I'm sorry, your fear circuits are triggered and you want to get that thing off as quickly as possible and you just pull it off and throw it on the ground. Correct. Yes. I'll, uh, I'll throw, throw it on the ground into a bush, which I, I was unable to find the tick after the fact. Okay. So now, Tina, we, we need to bring you into this conversation. So now, what is Josh like when you first see him after he's um, sharing with you that he was bitten by a tick? Uh, he looked like he ran over his childhood pet in the car. So he was completely white and was full panic mode. And when he gets like that, he gets super quiet and very, very, um, just looks nauseated. And again, we were with our friends at their house. And I think like 
we didn't want to make a big scene. Like it wasn't like we were trying to be like these nervous panic. And I, and I do want to kind of insert this for the people listening. You know, this is not like a very recognized Western medicine disease and it is not something that a lot of people know about. And so for us having the knowledge that we have, we were automatically panicked because we know what it could mean. And so for our friends, it was something that maybe they couldn't understand. And so we didn't want to like ruin his birthday and our whole dinner freaking out about something that they were like, oh, you just take a medicine. It's no big deal. Or, oh, you just watch it. It's no big deal. And so we felt kind of like we're a little people pleasers. We have a little issue with that. And so we kind of were trying to like talk in Morse code and like not make a big deal about it. But yet I knew this was something that we needed to take super seriously. And so I think when I saw him in that panic mode and he saw my face when I recognized, oh, it was a tick, it was like, we have to, we have to start figuring out what to do because uh, we don't have a lot of time. That's kind of what went through my head. So Sandy, what was your reaction when you found out that he had been uh, the victim of a tick bite? Did your fear circus trigger as well? I think like my first reaction was like, you're kidding me. Like we first, we go through all this coronavirus stuff and we have all this stuff with just life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, no, like this is crazy. Cause I just, I know from enough um, at that point, which I know a lot more in the last 24 hours than I've ever known. But I think my first reaction was just like, oh no, like I, I really don't want Josh to have to go through this. Like that was my first thing is I know it's a long road for a lot of people. And so I think that was my first reaction of just fear of like, is this really going to happen to him kind of thing. So what is the first thing either of you did to treat the site of the tick bite? I had Tina get tweezers and um, kind of dig into the area to see if maybe I had grabbed the body and the head was still in my arm. Which we don't wish we would have done that because that's, that's no good, but that is what we did. Um, I, in hindsight, wish I would have just got her and had her pull the tick out with the tweezers rather than me pinching it and squeezing it with my fingers. But um, I think the first initial reaction was just to have her check the tick bite location and make sure that there wasn't any remnants of the tick still in my arm. Okay. And uh, why did you want to make sure that there was no remnants of the tick in your arm? Did you believe that if the mouth of the tick was still in your arm, that that could cause you to become sicker? Uh, yes. Just because I, like, I don't know a ton about the transmission of Lyme and how long it takes, but we initially kind of started researching on our phones and um, things like that. And I just wanted to make sure that there was no possible way that any sort of transmission would continue after the um, tick was removed. And again, little did we know that that is not, you know, the right way to go about it. But I think that that's like your first inclination. But um, I think there was not a lot of common sense going on there. Like, oh, hey, the body's detached. So maybe we should just chill out. But um, I think that that was we were just frantically trying to make sure we got everything out. Right, so you because both of you were in a, in a place where your fear circuits had been triggered, you felt like you had to take some action, right? So the first action that you had taken, Josh, was you pulled it off. You grabbed it and you pulled it off. The first action you then asked your fiance to take is to, hey, get tweezers and try to make, you know, dig into that portion of my arm to make sure that the mouth of the tick is not in there, right? Correct. So what is the next thing that you did? Either one of you, what's the next thing you did after you finished digging around to see if the mouth was left in the uh, left in in Josh's uh, tricep. Uh, well, there was definitely some like erythema around the area. It was probably like the size of of a penny, um, really red, kind of hot, firm to the touch. 
Um, and so I immediately drew a line around it with a Sharpie um, because I, in school, you know, obviously we always know any rashes, we have to make sure we mark the border because we want to make sure if it grows, we're not second guessing ourselves, and we really are marking that. So that was kind of my nurse brain went right into marking that the border. So we did that. Um, and then we got some alcohol and just cleaned the area. Um, hindsight, again, I think we would have maybe taken a couple different steps, but I think that that was the best way that I knew how to treat like a bite of any kind. Um, so that was what we did right after. So what do you think uh, cleaning the area with alcohol is something you might've done differently? Cause I'm not sure that I would do it differently. That part of the process. Now I'm not sure I would have done differently. Yeah. I think um, I might have would, would have still kind of like made sure the area was clean, but I think that the more research I've done is like, there's certain things you could put topically that could really help like extract maybe what is still topical, like maybe some bentonite clay or something that would kind of pull out. Um, and so again, we were in a position where we were at our own home where we had all of those utility or those um, uh, things. And I think a lot of people maybe don't have those resources, but um, again, we weren't really mentally prepared for it. So it's not, um, it wasn't something that I had available, but I, I do think I would have cleaned it, but I would have maybe also added something topically to kind of extract anything after, else. After you've cleaned it. So, you're, yes, so you, you think you're, you're, you were, when your nurse brain finally came back to you and you were mm -hmm. beginning to start to take the steps to protect your fiance, you believe that cleaning the site with the, yep. with the alcohol was probably a good step. Yep. Um, okay. Did you use, what, what's the next thing you did, um, either one of you, to the site after it was cleaned with, uh, with the alcohol? We put some Neosporin on it and put a Band-Aid because I thought in my head that that was the best thing I could do to extract um, anything else that because it's antibacterial. And so I thought, you know what, let's just slap a sucker on there and slap a tight Band-Aid on and we'll just try to get it to kind of um, suck out any of the maybe superficial venom or whatever you call it that was maybe there. Okay. All right. And then, and then Josh, I'd like to walk back for a second. Now you've had a couple of days to think about this. How do you think that tick got to where it is when, when you ultimately remove it? How do you think it got there? Um, I mean, I had been walking through, it wasn't a heavily wooded area, but there was definitely some like shrubs on the ground and, and undergrowth from being clear cut, some new growth rather. Um, and just walking out casually either to pick up targets or pick up um, things that we were aiming at um, and then reset them. I think I may have just brushed up against a brush or a, a tree or something like that is the only thing I can think of. Um, and then it may have just crawled until it found skin. We'd also okay. been putting our clothes on the ground, picking up shells and everything. So we were like really close to all of that greenery for, I mean, periods of time. I, so, so it's, it's likely that when you bent down, you either you brushed your arm against some grassy area or you touched it with, you know, you touched your hand and then it walked up your arm is likely what happened to, uh, to you receiving the tick, right? They, ticks are, don't go into trees and they don't go into, into bushes. Or it's going to be some kind of a low grassy area where, right. where you bent down and you probably had it crawl up your hand. So, so now talk to me about what you guys now did you found the tick, you've, you've removed it, you've done the things that you've done. What steps did the two of you then take after that? Uh, I think our first step, I mean, after Tina's conversation with you, Rich, um, was to get some astragalus and take um, a pretty heavy dose of astragalus uh, daily 
So I immediately drove to the grocery store and bought all the astragalus they had on the shelf <laughs> just because I knew I would be taking it for a while. Um, so that was kind of our, our first step. And then additionally, um, just getting in contact with uh, my physician and um, getting a script for doxycycline. Is that yep. how you say it? Doxycycline, yep. um, which I started my first dose yesterday. And so um, those are just kind of the first two steps we've taken thus far. I took more vitamin C today just to help my immune system. Um, but that's kind of where we're at at this current moment. So but I want to walk back. So did you guys take any steps to make sure you didn't have any other ticks on either one of you? And did yeah. you <laughs> recommend to your friends who you were who you were shooting with that they also um, take some steps to make sure they aren't being bitten by ticks? Yeah, so funny that you say that. I think we absolutely ran with warp speed up to the bathroom and stripped all of our clothes off and checked every area of our body. We like hairline, behind the ears, behind the knees, between the toes, everything. So definitely, yes. So, and, and I hope this doesn't sound creepy, Tina, but I, I, want, I want more detail on that. Um, yeah. did, did each of you check yourselves first and then you check each other or did nope. you check each other? How did, each other? how did you do that? We checked each other because I just think that it's, it's easier to see. And also sometimes when I was reading initially, I know I heard that like, is it nymph? I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but they can be like the size of a poppy seed. And both of us are sun babies. I know we shouldn't be, but we have a lot of moles. And so I really wanted to make sure that like nothing that could look like something very small. Um, and so I had him go through my hairline and all through my hair and vice versa. Um, and because of what you had said about finding little crevices where they might go after it's not necessarily going to be super, um, you know, like you see it uh, with the naked eye. So you really have to look. So like I said, we went through each toes and underneath the armpits and all those areas that kind of have like crevices. Um, just because I was worried that, you know, if somebody, you know, I've been reading a lot of people don't even know that they've had them for 36 to, you know, 72 hours, it's been on them. And, and so uh, the size of a poppy seed is very small. So I think that that's kind of why we wanted to really thoroughly inspect. Okay, so tell me, Josh, how you inspect the Tina. Specifically, what did you do to inspect Tina to make sure she didn't have any ticks on her? I think I just started with like uh, one limb at a time and just looking at each surface on, on her arms and then like flipping it over, turning around, raising her arm, looking at every surface and really looking at, like she said, we have moles um, and freckles. So really looking at the darker spots on the skin to see if anything looked abnormal, if there was any redness or irritation of the skin. Um, and then just continued on her back and then down her legs and then up her front just to, again, examine those moles or freckles to see if anything looked abnormal or if there was any redness or raised irritation, raised um, skin in any way. So your philosophy was to look at small areas of her body to make sure that you were not doing too much and you were able to examine every little part to yep. see if there was any text. Now, were you using just your eyes or were you doing something else? We were just using our eyes. Okay. So um, did you guys feel uncomfortable about doing the tick check on one another? Meaning, was there some hesitation that, hey, um, you know, I don't know, you, were you just either of you uncomfortable having another person do that tick check on them? No, I think I was more like, if there's a stinking tick on us, it's coming off. Like, we're not dealing with this and like, we're going to get this, make sure that everything, we put our clothes in a plastic bag. We plan to take it home and put them straight in the hot dryer because I read that that could technically kill them. Um, so we were like full mode of like, 
there's no embarrassment here. We're going to make sure we don't have anything on our body. Just because I think, you know, when you get into that, you know, thinking about what it could possibly happen, I think that you kind of lose all of those, um, I guess, you know, normal fears that maybe you have. If like, let's say somebody isn't a fiance, maybe it's like a friend and they really want, um, you know, it's not always going to be our exact situation where there's not embarrassment. So I think that that's definitely something to think about is, is really, um, the importance of, of doing full body check after you've been in a wooded area. We won't ever do without it again. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> okay. So now this, this happened to you in a couple of days ago, correct? Yep. Have you guys done any other checks of yourself or each other since you did the initial check of each other? Uh, we did yesterday. We did another one yesterday. Now, did you do again another couple check or were you checking yourselves? Uh, we both checked each other again. And, and explain to us how you did those checks. Was it any different than the first check that you had done? Um, same as before. Um, we actually used the flashlight on our phone this time. That's the only thing that was different. So we just, just to try to get like extra on like the hair and stuff, because I feel like it's kind of hard to see um, that whole like scalp area too. So we just used the flashlight on our phone, but same as the first time. All right, so now I want each of you to now walk back again to the moment of time when, when you finally calm down, you finish your tick checks, and now you go into research mode. Josh, tell me what research you did, and Tina, tell me what research separately you did to determine what steps you should take to make sure, Josh, that you didn't get sick, and Tina, to make sure that Josh didn't get sick. I think my, my first thing was just to look at pictures of ticks just to really affirm that that's what I saw um, and just looking at ticks in Western Washington and different kinds of ticks um, and then additionally how to correctly remove a tick just to see where I went wrong um, and then kind of see the steps to take once you know that you have a tick bite um, and then I think Tina did much more of the research on the actual like medical process moving forward than I did. I was just trying to figure out if it actually was a tick, and I'm about 98, 99% positive that it was a tick. So what site did you go to to examine ticks and compare them to what you saw on your arm? I don't know the specific, specific sites. Um, I just typed in on Google like tick bites or ticks Western Washington, um, tick species Washington, um, and then looked at the images on there and then tick removal. And more so just look at like infographics on Google rather than going to a specific site. And I think like a big part of that was, is like he had told me before we did any research that he had seen black and red. So that was before any kind of like I could convince him or Google could convince his mind otherwise. Um, and so it was, I felt like that was really good information for us because when we did start looking, it was very obvious the different appearances of certain types of ticks. And it was um, in Western Washington, it had said that most prevalent ones are the deer ticks. And that was the ones that had the black and red, which kind of affirmed what he had seen prior and said prior to us seeing that picture. So I think that he was more trying to cross-reference. Right, so, so now after you were successful in cross-referencing the tick, what were you hoping to learn about the tick so that it would help you in your health journey? I think uh, my next task was looking at how long a tick needs to be attached to transmit um, Lyme disease. And then additionally, what's the rate of infection of Lyme disease from a tick bite? And I know Western medicine, I think the numbers are a little skewed or underreported uh, with that. And so taking that with a grain of salt, but just trying to figure out um, if it's a very rare chance that I get a 
uh, Lyme disease or other infectious disease from a tick or if it's something that I can pretty much guarantee or feel confident that I'm going to get. So I was just looking up like statistics and research um, just to figure out like if I would, if it was like 100% I have Lyme or not. So did you find when you were doing your research, Josh, that the research is all over the place where there, there are some uh, academics who are taking the position that if a tick is not attached for 24 to 36 hours, you can't get Lyme disease. But then there are other um, uh, academics who are taking the position that it can be a substantially shorter period of time, probably less amount of time than you had the tick biting you. Did you, did you come across that diversity of research? And if you did, how did that make you feel? Yes, I did. Um, I think pretty unanimously, I saw 24 hours. I think the CDC reports 24 hours. Um, in some places, I saw 36 hours. Um, I, I don't, didn't see anything less than about 18, which made me feel good because I think the tick may have only been biting me for at most five hours. Um, and yeah, I, I just, it, it definitely made me feel better that the tick wasn't on me for that long. But it still makes me nervous because the research is so all over the place. I will say that I did see what, that it could be a lot less. So in my research, I saw many forums of people that had chronic Lyme that said, you know, the research says this, but my experience was, is I actually know for a fact that it was on me for two hours and I, and I definitely have chronic Lyme and, or, you know, vice versa. So I think um, I saw all, a huge array, but definitely a, a large chunk of people um, that were writing that it was much less than 24. So now, were you folks, when looking at the tick research you were doing, trying to determine what other bacteria, viruses, and uh, protozoa may be carried by the particular tick you believe you were bitten by? Yep, I definitely did. I was, like he had said, I kind of, I honestly, I gave him a little like, please don't do too much right now because you're freaking out. And like, our relationship is kind of funny. He's very statistical, very math brained. And I'm very like, I want to know like the, the anatomy and biology of it kind of thing too. And I also didn't want him to be too concerned because again, we were with our friends and I just didn't want him to feel like so overwhelmed and have this surge of cortisol and this surge of stress response and everything. So, um, I kind of went a lot more down the rabbit trail of, yes, saw lots of other things that could be passed besides Lyme, parasites, you know, other kind of fevers, you know, reoccurring fever, you know, all of this other kind of stuff. So um, I definitely mentioned that to him of, hey, you know, we don't need to just be concerned about Lyme, but there's much more that we need to be, you know, just watching for. Um, and so, yes, I did definitely see that. So Josh, one of the reasons why we recommend that folks identify the particular tick that they were bitten by is because different ticks will carry different types of, of bacteria and viruses and protozoa. And as a consequence of the species of tick being identified, that puts you in a position where you can have a better understanding of what types of symptoms you may want to be looking for. In addition to that, what type of treatment you may want to pursue prophylactically based on what the possibilities are. So, um, Josh, was there any other research you did before we turn to, uh, to the research queen, Tina, because I can't wait to get to her, um, uh, that um, was either helpful in, in, in calming down your fear circuits or caused you to have more anxiety as you were doing the research? Um, I, I think it was just looking at those initial things that I already mentioned. Um, I did a little bit of research on just the doxycycline in, um, in the gut health, just because as a dietitian and a guy in the nutrition space, um, that's obviously a big concern for me is 
destroying my gut bacteria, which is where a large part uh, percentage of our immune system is. And so um, I, I'm not one to typically take antibiotics or any sort of uh, pharmaceuticals, but just because of the severity of Lyme disease, um, I, I felt that it was reasonable and responsible to take the antibiotic just in case. Okay, so so Tina, let's now talk about your research journey. Uh, while while you're you're trying to encourage your fiance not to do too much research because you don't want him to get more anxious, you of course are now on the research trail. So tell us yep. what um, what you're looking for and what you ultimately find. Okay, um, so I ultimately was looking for. My, my number one goal in my research at that time was what can, I remember in nursing school, I learned that there was a window of time that after somebody gets bit by a tick, that there is medicine that you can take that will drastically reduce or quote unquote, cure your opportunity to get Lyme. Again, I want to preface that I think that Western medicine is behind a little bit on Lyme and I hope that with all of this education, we continue to move the bar forward in that because I know a lot of people suffer. Um, but I do remember that in nursing school. So that was my very first inclination was what was that medicine? How long do I take it? Where do I get it? You know, who do I need to talk to as far as this and, and how much of it, when, you know, all of the stuff of that he needs to take it because he's going to get it right now. Like that was kind of my, my initial go-to. So Tina, let's, let's stay with that for a minute because this is a question we ask all the nurses and the doctors that we've interviewed. Um, what were you taught about Lyme disease in, uh, in your educational uh, training and how much time did they spend in nursing school teaching you about Lyme disease? Um, they taught me two things about it for five minutes in one class, but because my heart and soul loves chronic illness and you know all of that i think that i listened a little bit more to that than maybe um what we were quote unquote fed but i had one teacher and she told me that lyme disease was a hoax disease that people that complain about that they have chronic illness for their whole life really and that it is a hundred percent curable and that you just take an antibiotic and you take it for a month and you get cured and that there are like quote unquote fake doctors um, called naturopaths that try to make it into something that it isn't. So that is my cold hard answer to you. I hate it if that offends anybody, but that was what I was taught is that Lyme disease was something that people use as a crutch. And I will tell you, I firmly, firmly believe the opposite. So, um, but I, in that, what I took from her in that is that there was a medicine that there was research on to show that it had helped the bacteria. So that's what I wanted to dig into. Now, when you were in nursing school, was, was there ever a discussion about the difference between an acute and a chronic illness? And were you taught that if there were some steps taken during an acute phase, you could prevent the chronic illness from occurring? Yes, definitely lots of talk on acute and chronic illness. Um, no, not the steps you can take. I will tell you, Western medicine doesn't really teach you a lot about preventative medicine. It teaches you about, um, you know, treating the disease once it's there, um, you know, so it's, it's treating the symptoms rather than kind of the prevention of it. So um, I would say no, not so much on the steps you can take, um, other than they would say diet, exercise, you know, that those kind of traditional things that they say. But again, there's not really a lot of talk behind those things either. So, um, 
not on acute or chronic Lyme. No, never. That was mentioned. Okay. So now you come to this experience with your fiance who's bitten by a tick. Obviously you want to keep him healthy. You've taken all the steps that you've taken. You're now in research mode and you're researching in the context of trying to find this miracle medicine that will prevent him from getting sick after yep. this tick bite. Are yep. you able to find any actionable information anywhere when you're doing your research? Um, so it was very easy to find doxycycline. It was very easy to find research on that medicine. It's something I've seen used a thousand times for many things like acne, UTIs, you know, we've used it all in, in Western medicine for many things. So I was very familiar with that, what that was. Um, and there was a lot of research on dosing. That was kind of the argument of how, how much and how long. And so that was where I was trying to dig into. And I think my brain, the way it works is I never take no for an answer. If there is one research that says this way, I, it's never definitive because we know medicine is not definitive. We're always learning. That's why we call it practicing medicine. Um, and so I wanted to find, if somebody said 200 milligrams, I wanted to see if anyone said 300 or if anyone said 100, you know, I wanted to see kind of where, where that line was drawn. And I will say the, the conclusion that I came to is the most common treatment was 200 milligrams of doxycycline for one month. That was my, that was where I kind of landed on the most common prescription. So now when you've gotten to the point where you've come to the conclusion that doxycycline is probably the best uh, prophylactic um, antibiotic to take. What did you talk with Josh about? And Josh, what was your reaction to Tina's discussion about doxycycline? Um, so first off, again, Josh kind of hit the nail on the head. We are obsessed with gut health. We think it is like the most important thing that you can do for your health and your immune system. And so we live our life kind of eating to kind of fuel and make sure our gut is healthy. Um, and so taking doxycycline is really kind of a slap in the face to us. We don't want to take it unless we're on our deathbed kind of. Um, and so I think my initial thing was, you know, if doxycycline is going to put you at lower risk from developing Lyme, then it's worth it. And I wanted to encourage him to do that. Um, but our discussion immediately was what else are we going to do to help protect your gut from taking this antibiotic for this long? So Tina, what led you to believe that doxycycline would help Josh? And why do you believe that doxycycline would help him? Um, I think just in the research that I had seen of the type of bacteria that Lyme disease um, is and the kind of how that medicine is in response to that bacteria. So we learn about antibiotic susceptibility in all of med medical schooling. Um, and so kind of that bacteria is susceptible to that antibiotic. So that's kind of where I felt comfortable with at least trying it. Okay. So Josh, tell me what your thoughts were as Tina was sharing with you the research about doxycycline. Uh, I honestly, like I said, I, I don't like taking antibiotics. And so that I had a big reservation there. However, based on the fact that she has seen it used in, in multiple settings and multiple um, different formats and reasons, uh, I felt more comfortable that it wasn't just some oddball one-off antibiotic that was just going to absolutely destroy my gut. Um, that made me more comfortable to know that a lot of people take it for multiple different reasons. Um, but I think just a uh, general fear for me personally uh, of taking an antibiotic just because I'm so passionate to not take them and I've worked so hard to get my gut health to where it is. Um, that it just makes me nervous to take an antibiotic, but. I so, 
so so you're you're a dietitian, and uh, right. obviously gut health is a very important part of your um, professional life. Tell us about how you believe doxycycline will negatively affect your gut health, and what steps are you as a dietitian going to take to try to offset the negative impacts that the doxycycline is going to have on your gut health? I, I think in my experience, in, in my practice, in, in as a dietitian, someone working in the nutrition field, I think there's a general um, understanding that antibiotics only get rid of bad bacteria. And people don't realize that our guts are full of good and bad bacteria. And um, taking the antibiotic, it, it's intended to kill bacteria. And so you're going to end up um, removing quite a bit of the gut diversity that you have, the gut microbiome diversity um, that you have, which can leave um, opportunities for um, different GI issues. SIBO is one of them, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or um, just different uh, microbiome infections, just based on the um, soil available, if you will, um, if the good bacteria is kind of removed, and there's going to be area for opportunistic bacteria and things like that. So I, I think we've we've already jumped into the process of looking for uh, a probiotic um, just to replace the the good bacteria. Um, but another thing with probiotics, you need to lay that soil, like I said. So having good prebiotic fibers from um, different non-starchy vegetables and um, different like roots, uh, things like that. I personally would rather have um, prebiotic fibers from food source rather than taking it in a supplemental form. Um, but that's just kind of my next step is getting prebiotics in my diet and then getting on a good probiotic supplement to replenish uh, the bacteria that's getting uh, taken out. So Tina, now that you've done your research and you've discovered the doxycycline, were you able to discover any other steps? And I, I'm not asking you to talk about what you found on our website. I want to talk about yeah. everything else. Were you able to yeah. find any other actionable steps that you would want to recommend to your fiance to help him to protect his health? Yep. Um, to be honest, not too much. Um, I think the paste on the wound um, that was like the more natural bentonite apple cider vinegar paste. I found a couple pages that really encouraged people to do that. Um, and then people just, you know, there was the general keep your immune system up, you know, eat this, eat that kind of thing. But other than that, no, to be completely honest. So Josh, did you find anything, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to now look at this through the lens of a dietitian. Did you find anything that led you to believe that you could now take actionable steps to protect your health? Uh, absolutely. I, I think there's always an opportunity to, um, enhance your body's, um, immune system, enhance your body's natural detoxification processes through food, um, enhance kind of your, um, endogenous antioxidants. Uh, I mean, our body obviously generates uh, glutathione and, and different enzymes that are actually antioxidants. And so, um, I think nourishing the body through good fruits and vegetables and getting a lot of different variety of nutrients is going to help the body's um, endogenous immune system, producing things like glutathione and, and um, different other antioxidants to actually protect against uh, oxidative stress or cellular damage caused by a, a bacteria or viral or what have you. So have you now come up with I'm going to ask you first, Tina. Have you come up with the steps you're planning to recommend that Josh take so that he will not get sick from the various uh, germs that could have been spit into him when he was bitten by the tick? 
Yeah, so we're gonna do everything under the sun. We're gonna do Epsom salt baths. We're gonna do bentonite clay, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that's kind of, I think, secondary. But I think really, first and foremost, we're gonna make sure that the herbs that we take, you know, um, I think we'll, we'll jump into astragalus. That was your suggestion. I think that that is a great suggestion. Um, we've learned a lot about that, Josh, a lot in his schooling, uh, just about how the power of herbs can be significant in um, just so many chronic illnesses. So we definitely plan to jump on that. Um, glutathione was another one that we talked about um, doing just to kind of um, kind of boost the, the body's ability to detox and to fight. Um, vitamin C, liposomal vitamin C is something that we're going to do every day. Um, and then just making sure that, yeah, his gut bacteria is good through food and um, just taking, you know, doing a little bit more research on the probiotic and prebiotic and which ones we'll decide to do. Um, but that's our, that's our game plan as of now. So Josh, now put your dietitian hat on. Um, if I came to you after I was bitten by a tick and now I'm taking uh, doxycycline, uh, what, did it, what is it that you'd recommend to me so that I could protect my gut health or rebuild my gut health? Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, obviously get um, a, a good quality probiotic. And there's research to say that a soil-based probiotic is, is probably the best. And the um, I would be a little hesitant to just go run to the store and buy any probiotic off the, off the shelf, just because you want to make sure you're getting one that's a little bit more specified to you and making sure that it's a live culture and making sure that the capsule can actually surpass the acidity in the stomach. So an enteric-coated capsule or something like that would be the first priority. And then education um, about the timing of the probiotic. Obviously not take probiotic the same, like in the same um, swallow as the antibiotic, just because the antibiotic will just end up killing off the probiotic, um, but staggering the dose in that. And then there's different um, new, uh, fruits and vegetables that um, I, I really am an advocate for cabbage or sauerkraut in that capacity, just because they're high in glutamine. Um, and glutamine can actually help with uh, the gut lining, uh, which is super cool. Um, so definitely increase um, glutamine, whether that's in powdered source or whether that's through food, just to make sure you're, you're nourishing the gut health. Um, and then regular um, fruits and vegetables, and then um, a lot of water content. If you're going to be having more fiber, um, want to make sure you're drinking more water just to keep things moving through really well. Um, apple cider vinegar is another really good one just to help with like the um, detox process in the hydrochloric acid in the stomach. So, um, I, I think just those couple things would be my first recommendation. I don't want to, um, throw a, try to drink from a fire hose, but just do a couple things, um, from the start, just to start nourishing back the gut health and, and try to get back on track. All right. So Tina, now I'm going to ask you to help us out. Uh, one of the questions that we ask all of our podcast guests is, um, is a question that, we asked them to hypothetically imagine a loved one coming into them with a tick biting them. We don't have to ask you the hypothetical question because you guys just had this a couple of days ago. So Tina, um, have you looked at our uh, tick bite blueprint, which we actually created based on the, this question that we've asked over a hundred podcast guests. And if you have, what do you like about it and what would you change to improve it? Yeah, I, I love it. I think that you guys have done an amazing job and it has definitely put me in a more peaceful mindset. Um, just knowing that somebody has put a lot of research and a lot of time and passion behind it that I think will make anyone feel better. So I definitely think that I was blessed to find you guys' website and be able to talk to you so soon. And so 
Um, I think that that blueprint would be an amazing resource for anyone who has a loved one or themselves that has been bitten. Um, what I love about it is it's very clear and concise and step-by-step, step, which I feel like you need when you are stressed out. You don't want this huge, you know, 10 page PDF document of all this sciencey words and big things and everything. I think that's overwhelming. Um, so just having it step-by-step step is very, makes it very clear. Um, and I think that it gets people in that mindset of what can they do to advocate for themselves. I think we had kind of mentioned in the very beginning of this, not to knock any kind of Western medicine or any kind of, you know, research out there. I don't want to knock on any doctors or any, anybody, but I think that we can do a better job of advocating for ourselves. I think a lot of times people with chronic illness find themselves in that position where you have to almost shop for your doctor. You almost have to find someone who's willing to listen to you. Um, and I think that that can be very empowering, but also people can get very, very frustrated with feeling like they have to um, do all of this research to um, then get to step B. So I think with the blueprint, what I really, really appreciate is it gets you the steps that you have to take in that first, you know, 72 hours. Um, and then you can kind of start to take a step back and be like, all right, for the next three weeks now, what am I going to focus on? And then for the next six months, what am I going to focus on? And then quite frankly, we would hope that lifestyle change is a big thing. I mean, if you're feeling like your lifestyle is not, you know, fitting a way that's going to help your body heal, then maybe it's time to make those choices too. So this is a really a lifelong, um, a lifelong lifestyle change. And that would be what I think everyone with chronic illness would hope that anyone would hear. So do you have any recommendations for us about what we could do to improve the blueprint? Um, you know, to be honest, I think, it's going to be something that's going to be ever changing. I think as every single person that you guys talk to in an interview is going to have a different perspective um, and a different situation. I mean, never in our life would we think we would be sitting here talking to you right now, but we are so blessed to be able to do that. And I think if this can help anybody, I, we would be thrilled. So I think that it will just be something that you guys are continually adding to as more research comes in. Um, I think a big thing is I would just, hone in that people need to go to their doctor immediately and, and push for testing, 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 keep the tick. Don't throw it in the, in the woods like Josh or on the ground, like keep it um, so that you can test it. I think that is like one of the home run things because that is like 10 steps ahead of us. You know, we would know, Hey, that tick had Lyme disease. We need to freak out or like, Hey, that had something else that we need to. So that would be the biggest thing is just honing in on people to, um, check themselves when they go out in the woods, whether they think they're at risk or not, enjoy going camping, go hiking, go do the fun things. Um, but just, you know, have precautionary measures. Um, and then yes, I think just honing in on advocating for yourself and your doctor, making sure that people listen to you. So let me ask you a question, Josh, Let, let's assume hypothetically you did keep the tick and you sent the tick to a company like Technetics, which is the company we recommend that folks send their ticks to to be tested. Um, there's a wonderful young uh, microbiologist who actually started a company because her child was bitten by a tick. So if you sent the tick to Technetics and uh, Dr. Roblowski, or I'm sorry, Professor Roblowski was able to sh share with you that your tick did not have uh, the Lyme bacteria, would you be taking the doxycycline now? I think I would still be taking it as a, a prophylactic measure just because Lyme disease obviously is not the only disease that ticks can carry. Um, I would definitely feel a lot more comfortable knowing that that particular tick did not have Lyme. Um, but I, I think I would still do it just because of the severity of the different diseases and the chronic illness that these ticks can um, give you. 
and, and I just, I, it's not worth the risk. So I would, I would not change what I have done. So, uh, Josh, have you taken a look at the Tick by Blueprint? And if you have, uh, do you have any recommendations uh, for us so that we can improve that uh, blueprint? Uh, I looked at it briefly, so I can't speak to it too uh, intensely. Um, I, my only thing would just say that you advocate for um, tick awareness and understanding of like, just because I obviously removed the tick incorrectly, and um, you may have that in, in detail on there, but um, like I said, I, I just briefly looked at it, but that, that was only my only concern is that I didn't know. So just creating more awareness of risk of, of ticks and um, kind of the approach to go with that. I do, Josh, I do want to give you some comfort here. Uh, we did a podcast with one of the leading Lyme disease experts in the world, Dr. Desharma, who actually lives on the West Coast. And she and her daughter came to uh, New York. And um, while, while they were in New York, uh, Dr. Desharma's daughter had been bitten by a tick. And despite having written four books on Lyme disease and being one of the leading experts in the world, she ran, grabbed the tick off her daughter and threw it on the ground. Right. So this is not it is not an uncommon reaction to someone yeah. having their fear circuits triggered and responding to that. Right. So um, yeah. you 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 are behaving normally when you do that. And part of what we're working on now, um, because we're building out this blueprint to have uh, some other tools is to help people to learn how to respond with ability, right? And responding with ability requires you to have a certain level of comfort uh, with ticks and removing ticks. And one of the things you'll see if you go onto our uh, Instagram is I actually had a tick on me recently, actually uh, uh, the last day of April before Lyme Disease Awareness Month began, I had a tick on me. And I was actually on the phone with Matt while, uh, while I had the tick on me and I didn't freak out because I've now gotten to a point in my uh, experience, in my training, where I'm not afraid of ticks any longer, right? So it's, it's, it's very normal for you to behave the way you did. Don't beat yourself up. If Dr. <laughs> Ducharme behaves that way, you can do, behave that way. But at the same time, there is a certain level of mastery that I think all of us have to get to so that we can respond with ability, which uh, is something we as Christians know um, we, we ultimately can move towards. So, um, so tell us now again in 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 uh, you're you're both giving some you know really really powerful uh, testimony here. Can you can you share with us how you're going to now live your lives differently? Meaning, are there steps you're going to take to avoid ticks? Are there steps you're going to take to now regularly check for ticks? Are there steps you're going to take to learn how to properly remove ticks and then ultimately make sure that you're taking the proper early intervention to make sure you uh, you do not get from an acute illness to a chronic stage. Um, I think, yes, we're definitely going to wear bug spray. I think that we are definitely going to be more aware of we, even being on the West coast, we are not at a negative risk. Um, so when we go target shooting again, because we will do it again, because we don't, we're not going to stop living our life because of this. And I think that's a big thing to hit home with people is not have fear around this, you know, still enjoy your life, but we will wear long sleeves. We will wear, you know, maybe looser clothing that they're not going to burrow under um, and just have a little bit more awareness as far as um, checking ourselves as soon as we get home, um, those things. But, um, but definitely not going to stop living our life because of it. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guests, Christina Biggs and Josh Kreifels. To our listeners, we have a call to action. 
If you enjoyed this episode of the Think Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Second, if you'd like to download a copy of the Tick by Blueprint that was used by Christina Biggs and Josh Kleifels in today's podcast episode, then please visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we'd appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer to improve the blueprint. Third, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or our website. Thank you for listening.